0: often looks to the United Kingdom, not only in a nostalgic haze for our shared history and joint destiny as part of the Commonwealth, but also because it offers us a glimpse of the future. Our nations hold parallel values among the elite class. Uh, We have had both our elite classes implement these dangerous policies that over the last three decades have severely eroded our once great nations. Now there is no question that Europe and the United Kingdom have cultural problems. And joining us to discuss the situation unfolding in the UK is journalist with the European Conservative, a libertarian and free speech enthusiast, David Atherton. David, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you good evening.
0: David, before we get into detail, I wanted to ask you, what is the mood like in the UK? Because I've just spoken to many Australians who were at London for the art conference, and they've come back and said that London that they saw then was unrecognisable to what they remembered, that the spirit and the people are completely different. It was even, uh, not even a London under occupation. It was more like London had left and already been lost. What's it like?
1: Yeah. OK, well, to answer your question, John Cleese said London is not an English capital anymore. It's not an English city anymore. 36% of uh, Londoners are, 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 only 36% of Londoners are white. Uh, it's been a complete cultural change over the last 20, 30 years, probably dated back to Tony Blair. Um, if, to sum it up, it was a very general question. The Jews in London, you know, often live around North London, Absolutely terrified to leave their homes at the moment. They won't, won't wear their skull-catching malkies. Uh, in the streets anymore because they're scared of being beaten up, assaulted, or worse. Um, you know, basically, it's absolutely horrible in London at the moment. Horrible atmosphere. And I'll tell, and I'll tell you what. One of the most interesting things that's happened is, is all the people that have come out in support of Hamas. I think I think a lot of the liberals have been absolutely shocked at the language. And their behaviour and what they've done, and their complete disregard for, you know, for a, I think there's about 200, 250,000 Jews in London, their complete contempt for them. It's been a big wake up call for the left and the Liberals, despite the fact there's many on the left who are supporting the.
0: Yes, well it doesn't seem to be the same civilization, at least in London, that championed the Enlightenment. Although I have seen posted on your account and others these clips where some of the really, really fringe left-wing virtue signaling mobs like Antifa, for instance, have come into contact with pro-Palestinian rallies and tried to negotiate the new Western values with them, and it hasn't ended so well. Do you think this might be a little bit of a wake-up call (laughs) for the far left that perhaps they don't support the same position that they do?
1: Yeah, did did, did, you, did you see the trans trans woman who remonstrated with um oh what's his name um the Canadian guy um Chris the man with the board, um he's he's got so, you know kids can't consent to puberty blockers, this, this trans this, this trans man went up to uh, uh, Chris Chris the board man and said yeah you know, this is disgusting yeah you're a homophobe you know blah 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 transphobe. And he tried to enlist the help of two two Arabs uh, heritage women who were there. And they said, "Well, no, no, Chris is right. You know, um, it says in our book, homosexuality is wrong." <laughs> and also, uh, one of the one of the rallies, one of the uh, one of the Hamas supporters, got hold of uh, someone turned up with an LGBT flag, and well, and you could see you can see that, you know, from a distance that it was ripped down, and the guy was shoved to one side. You know, you know. <laughs> It's, you know, the point is, you know, who are the real Nazis here? You know, who are the real Jew haters? You know, it, you know the far right and the right are the people that support us, are standing up for the Jews the most. And the people who, who are sort of being the complete anti-Semites are the left and the liberals and, and, most, and vast majority of the Muslim population in Britain.
0: Yeah, real shocker that uh, Islam isn't a friend of glitter and rainbows. And I guarantee you the schools in those areas will not have their classrooms covered in trans flags. It's not going to be a thing. But we are coming up to November 11 this weekend, which will have happened by the time this interview goes live. There have been threats of a million strong Hamas supporters and jihad-chanting individuals who are mostly migrants on the streets of London. Now, the West is starting to ask, with this threat on the horizon, that perhaps sure. this open borders... borders, multicultural plan for society isn't working. The men and women who fought for the UK and died in their millions, not only to stop the spread of national socialism in Germany and communism in Russia and fascism in Italy, they also fought to stop the genocide of the Jewish people. And now we have people declaring that they will finish what Hitler started and the Metropolitan Police stand there and manage the crowds. I mean, David, have politicians betrayed their ancestors?
1: Um... Well, to answer your question, yes or no, the answer is yes. The pro- pro- problem, that, problem that London has is, uh, is it's run by uh, Sadiq Khan, who's a Muslim. And he, he you know, he's obviously can't be seen to be siding with the police when it comes to being robust in responding to all the problems that are going on, going on in and around Whitehall and, uh, and Downing Street. He can't be seen to be doing that. You know, it's absolute cowardice at the moment from the police. You know, and there, there was talk of trying to get, trying to get all the events banned. And it's at owned, only has got to the stage now whereby they're thinking of banning it is because do you know do you know who Tommy Robinson is?
0: Yes, of Tommy course. Robinson? Yeah, he's 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 yeah, actually okay. famous everywhere, including Australia, along with Katie Hopkins as well, <laughs> yeah. who have both been invited back oh. on Twitter recently. I notice.
1: Indeed, yes, and, and uh, I think Tommy's um, what's the word uh, uh, organising the troops for, for, for Saturday to defend the cenotaph and our, and our war memorials, and uh, you know. Uh, you know the uh, the establishment in this country are, are, are being particularly worried about that. Um, to be fair, the person who is showing showing a bit of uh, a bit of backbone and a bit of leadership here is uh, Suella Braverman, uh, Britain's Home Secretary. She's called them hate marches. <laughs> uh, she's she yes, and 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 she particularly wants the police to do something about it. Although, although the thing I find strange is she, she probably has the powers to ban to ban the marches. But the other side of the coin, though, is I think if even if, even if it was banned, they probably still turn up. So probably uh, on Arpasis Day or on the on the eleventh. I think you're probably going to see some trouble. Um, people, you know, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this: there is a huge majority in this country who are apoplectic with rage at what's going on at the moment. Um, the way the way these people seem to be desecrating our war memorials in Rochdale, someone sprayed on "Free Palestine," someone stuck some Palestinian flags another war, war, war uh, another war remor- memorial in in Rochdale as well. People are really, really angry, and you know. And, and the thing that people are probably most um ironical about is a lot of people on the right have been warning about islam uh, islam for the last 10 20 30 years whether it's grooming gangs rape gangs or whatever and they've been held down and uh, they've been held down as racists and bigots and gammons and xenophobes um and unfortunately events over the last last month or so have kind of in a way vindicated them they've been proved right now, these people do not share our values. They are not enlightened Western democratic people. They are most, a lot of them are just thugs and bullies. Not all of them. Um, they are thugs and bullies and don't deserve to be in this country. And I'll tell you what: the Overton window in this country has shifted well to the right. Um, for example, I think Pauline Hansen was abolished in, 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 in the Parliament for criticising Marine Faruqi. And she says, and she's going to be sent back. She'd like to send her back on a plane to Pakistan. You can say that in Britain now. Well, uh, Douglas Murray has been gone.
0: Yeah. Well, what I was going to say is, uh, look, if Sadiq Khan was Christian, and we had Christian yeah. groups on the street shouting. you you know, genocide towards somebody and we had Christian churches preaching genocide at the pulpits, then the Christian mayor would be under enormous pressure to come out and lead the spiritual uh, charge to, to stop this behavior. That would be a duty on that mayor. But, Siddharth Khan is Muslim and I am surprised that the same behaviour is not being put upon him to try and de-escalate this and say no you can't come out on the street and say that, no you can't do this to London, London is going to have a remembrance weekend and no you can't march during that weekend and I also say this, if you ask the Jewish people to not protest on that weekend, they would not protest and more to the point they'd come out wearing poppies. Yeah.
1: Well, this is the rule of law. You know, there, 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 are, there are groups in this country who believe in the rule of law and there are, there are groups that, that, that don't. You know, they are just pure physical and verbal bullies. Let me give you an idea how bad things are, how, how, how bad things are in Britain. There have been, two, you know, I don't necessarily agree with them, but two pastors have been, have been uh, street preachers have been arrested in London for quoting um verses verses of the bible that's, uh, that us that let's we call them lgbt skeptic but both were arrested and <laughs> arrested by the police. Whilst you know you, you, you got the problem, in, you know in, in Sydney where, where, where they were saying gas the Jews, you know from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free is an open call for the annihilation of the Israeli state and the Israeli people. You no, know, it is the equivalent of saying gas the Jews. And the, police, and the police have done nothing about it whatsoever. A guy was racist towards a white person. And you know the- pl- the police were actually there present, and they saw it and they heard it. They did nothing about it whatsoever you know it is called as i say in this country it 's called two tier policing you know we get one set of rules and they get another set of rules um you know the, the police have, uh what 's the world uh, The police are aggressive with the passive and passive with the aggressive.
0: Yes, well, I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute. But don't forget, we come from Australia where we watched in Melbourne, which I'm sure the entire world saw what happened in Melbourne during the freedom protest, where we had literally counter-terror units on the street shooting little old ladies with rubber bullets during... And all they wanted to do was uh, not wear a mask. That was their great crime of civilization. But my point is that... The first, you know, the Western world nations, the first world nations, they were treated as life rafts by the United Nations. And then the UN created legally binding treaties to ensure that the third world could pour into these nations and presumably become Western and and to continue that quality of life. That was what we were told would happen, that we'd have all these doctors and nurses and it would all be wonderful, right? But when the third world came to the life raft a percentage of those who arrived started stabbing the life raft and bringing the terrible politics and social and religious conflicts that sank their original nations. Now, David, what happens when the West falls and there are no more life rafts? Because I don't think the affluent left-wing politicians and social commentators who champion in this kind of policy, they don't think their world is going to change. They think it's all going to continue as it is. Uh,
1: Yes, to a certain extent. But I think that might be changing, Um, um, you know, for example, Winston Churchill warned, about the Nazis of the, uh, warned us about the Nazis of the 1930s, and he was told to shut up and be quiet, and you was you, being ridiculous. This is increasingly what is happening in this country. People are beginning to wake up to, to, you know, to, 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 to what mass immigration has done to this country. Now, for example, um, Sadiq Khan is, is meant to be a hugely unpopular mayor, but in the, but in the opinion polls that, that are coming out for, his, for the election next year, he's 25% ahead of his nearest rival. You know, it it is basically uh, what we're having in this country is um, a a, an exegesis whereby one by one people are beginning to wake up and realise what is going wrong with this country and the effect that mass immigration has had on us. Um, You know, again, you know, you you kind of touched on the Great Replacement there, to a certain extent. Am I right in saying that, Alex? Well, it's not so much that. It's
2: not
0: not so much that. I mean, Australia has always been a multicultural country. I mean, we're famous for it. And we had many, many waves of migrants who came to Australia and they became Australians. So we've seen this project work. What doesn't work is when you get enclaves building and particularly religious ideology that is is is. It doesn't, okay. doesn't, right, yeah. doesn't want to become part of the group. It is actually there to keep itself separate. So my point is we now seem to have what are effectively separatist movements on the street, movements that are more interested well, we, we, in the we, politics we, of other countries than they are sure. of the British narrative, yeah. which is what's happening there. Yeah,
1: sure. So, we, so what you're talking about is multiculturalism. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, like, I mean, look, words, look, you've got whereby, people who
0: wave Palestinian flags who don't care about British politics. They're interested in the politics of Palestine. That's what I mean.
1: yeah. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Now, for example, in Leicester, Le- Leicester is now a um, a, a minority majority uh, city now. Leicester, it's in, it's in the Midlands, and for, for the last year year and a half, the Muslims and the Hindus, have, you know, have been fighting the wars that they're doing back in India. Now, um, Eritreans are, 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 are having having scratch with each other about about their um, prime minister who was dethroned. You know, you know, they are bringing all. all you know, um, also um, some of the Kurds and the Iranians are bringing bringing their problems over over to Britain as well. Um, it it's, it really is quite quite um, revealing that you know these people do not don't seem to want to integrate. They don't seem to want to be worried about British politics. They want to be worried about the politics from where they come from.
0: Yeah, that's quite, and that is a, an underestimated toxic behaviour. I mean, because in Australia, we've got entire townships that were once Scottish or they were once Irish or sure. you know, or they were, once, yeah. um, they were once predominantly from Indonesia, but they've all become Australian now and they don't spend their time bickering about Scottish politics or going on about what happened in Ireland a sure. hundred years ago. They're talking about Australian politics sure. and that kind of migration well, I, worked, but something is fundamentally I, I think, changed. I, I
1: think you guys yeah, I think you guys have a common culture, and I think the difference. I think the, the difference between the Australian culture and the English and the British culture is British people really tend to mind their own business and they're not really, really don't want to interfere with somebody else's life. The difference is, I think, in Australia, there's a strong social pressures to integrate. You know, well, the thing that always strikes me is even, even if I if I'm hearing some. Um, islamic bigot in sydney he still speaks with with an australian accent you know typically the islamic bigot in in britain will still will still speak with a with an arabic or, or a pakistani accent but i think you think you guys are probably doing slightly better than us but we do have it we do a have a giant ocean a i mean
0: the ocean does help to an extent i will say that it's it's more helpful than you guys have got france sitting on the border going here here here, we'll ferry them across for you, which isn't very helpful. But look, I have posted on my Twitter account, and uh, you might have seen it as well, that Australia does have hate preachers, and I mean preachers that have known and confirmed links to terror who ASIO are chasing. And you have shown footage of very similar things on the streets of London. Now, David, where are sure. all those police who wear rainbows on their cars and all the rest of it, that they used to shop at your door if you said mean things about trans uh, drag queens in preschool libraries? I mean, we had some Six police officers show up for poor Lawrence Fox because he said mean things about the Ulez scheme. They rocked up <laughs> at his doorstep. I mean, I'm pretty sure none of these radical Hamas protesters are keen on LGBT stuff. So where are the police? No, where not. is the outrage from the BBC? Where, why is there a deafening well, silence? As,
1: as the cliche goes, they're policing our tweets, not, <laughs> not the streets. That's <laughs> pretty based, good, that's as pretty as good. As yeah, exactly. Um, the, the police, I think, have kind of given up in this country so far. Um, you know, again, go back to the fact that you know, choose your words carefully here, Dave. There are certain sections of, of society know how to behave themselves, and there's other sections that don't. Um, so uh, it's uh, it's, a re- yeah, it's a really tough. Yeah, but one for I know those
0: police. I know those police can police because they are out in the streets with Black Lives Matter. They were protecting Black Lives Matter whilst they destroyed the monuments, if I remember correctly. So that I know they can police yeah. if they want to.
1: Well, they can do you know, that. They, they can, again, as you said, they can do what they want to. I, 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 should, I, should, I should imagine this Saturday, where, you know, with where the far right, for want of a better phrase, uh, are guarding the Senate up. I expect the police to be going in fairly fairly heavy-handed with all their right gear on and things like that. No, it's, uh, you know, as I say, it's, it's, it's one, of the, one, one of the things that, again, that the left is waking up to is how homophobic uh, the, the Islamic people are. There was, there was a... Um, Survey done in 2016 uh, by it was commissioned by Channel Four, a bit of a left lefty, lefty uh, news channel, and um, they found that 52 percent of British Muslims uh, believe that homosexual acts should be made illegal. So, so basically, you're so talking about the majority of Muslims in this country are basically homophobic. And there's a wonderful piece, uh, a wonderful clip going back to 2019 in Birmingham. Anderson Park Primary School, where uh, uh, Sky TV, Sky British Sky TV, owned by Comcast, turns up and they interviewed this Muslim guy, and he said, uh, and what they were doing is they, they they were teaching LGBT lessons, you know, indoctrination type things, and all the, lo- the lo- local Muslims all turned up to complain about it. I interviewed this guy and, they, and, and he said, well, you know, it's you know, uh, in the Quran, homosexuality is heinous. I really don't want want my children being taught this whatsoever. He really, really put it quite strongly.
0: Yes, well none of the, uh, we have hate speech laws over here and they've been used mostly weaponized against conservatives, that so they said anything even slightly borderline, well the hate speech laws came in. But the hate speech laws haven't even been applied or even been looked at, the people who said gas the Jews on the steps of the Opera House. They were, I don't see anybody trying to arrest those people or, or complain about that kind of behaviour. But one of the comments that I hear often, and I've seen you been posting about it, is that Palestinian protesters, that support the freedom and liberation of Palestine have nothing to do with the terrorist organization, Hamas, and their actions. It's the narrative that political figures in your country and mine, particularly on the Labor Party, cling to, and what the presenters at, at people like the ABC and the BBC, this is what they keep saying, Hamas is not Palestine. But when people wander into those crowds holding signs, that criticise or denounce Hamas they are viciously attacked sure. and there's plenty of footage of that now the crowds are defending sure. the reputation of Hamas. There's also footage from Gaza that shows ordinary Palestinians cheering and celebrating as the bodies of raped Israeli women are dragged through the streets and before October 7 even there was plenty of evidence that the billions of dollars in aid money sure. sent to Palestine has been spent at least partly on school programs that teach toddlers how to role play the genocide of the Jewish people. Now David, a Western Apologists kidding themselves about the relationship between Hamas and Palestine?
1: Well, it seems to me uh, that you can't turn up to a demonstration um, in, in support of Palestine without showing having some degree of empathy, if not support for Hamas. I don't know I whether, you, whether you know as well, but what, the, one of these, uh, this uh, Saturday, uh, one, of the, the dem- one of the demonstrations uh, is, is being arranged by a guy called Mohammed Suwala. Uh, he used to be head of Hamas in, in the West Bank in Israel, and he's one of one of the organisers of it. Um, yeah. So to answer your question, um, the the effect of, of 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 Hamas in this country, either obviously or subliminally, it has been has been quite quite extensive. Um, I absolutely, you no. Know, so sorry, um, absolutely horrible people, some of these people, and, and they're also very violent as well. Sorry.
0: Well, no, my, my point is that they're a registered terror organisation. And so you can't actually march that's in right, support yeah. of Hamas because you can't march in support oh, of okay, ISIS. Fine. So what are, the, what are they doing? My point is, how can you march in support of a terror organisation when that's not legal? You can't organise a protest for a terror organisation. Well, so- again,
1: you're, you're, hitting on, you're hitting on the fact that uh, the police in this country are useless <laughs> and, they're, and they're, siding with the Palestinians. That is an ongoing it, thing. You, you didn't see that. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, exactly. You, I take you never saw saw, saw the policeman who gave one of the Palestinians as a fist bump.
0: Yes, well, I mean... <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the
1: police for yeah.
0: Now, I've just seen, a and I've seen it mostly through your Twitter account and others, that... The word far right is suddenly popping up. It came started last week in earnest. Where if you, I don't know, you support the British people and you oppose cries of Jewish genocide, suddenly you're far right, which is a bit weird because the left's line has always been throughout the years that if you, if you're a Nazi or you support the killing Jewish people, then you must be far right. But now they're saying, well, hold on a second, those people who who oppose the genocide of the Jewish people, well, you're you're now far right now as well. So it's they're getting a bit confused with their narratives. If you love your country, respect it. laws, honour its cultural practices and raise your family in peace, well that's far right. Today if you wear a poppy I'm sure that's far right. Now this is preposterous rhetoric. How do you account for it suddenly appearing in news articles?
1: Well the, the, uh, I think as as I, as I kind of kind of mentioned earlier on that if if you criticise Islam and you criticise immigration, you you'll be you'll be labelled as far right. So basically far right means anybody who is skept- is sceptical of immigrants and immigration to a greater or lesser extent. The latest figures are for for the country is seventy two percent of people in this country would like to see immigration. Um, uh, reduced significantly, so that makes seventy-two percent of the British people far right. You know, it is just the smear that the establishment in this country have for anybody who is who is, as I say, immigrant skeptic or or, or notes the failings of Islam to a greater or lesser extent. You know, and that off being labeled far right, as I mentioned before, you get labeled racist, bigot, gammon, xenophobe, anything, any other name, just to shut you up. Um, you know, if you look at the way that Tommy, Rob- Tommy Robinson, to my mind, is sometimes the architect of his own downfall. And arguably, he's often wrong. But the fact is, the state have gone after him. You know, they haven't dealt with the problem. They dealt with the reaction to the problem. The way the state have deliberately gone after Tommy Robinson, to get him jailed and, 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 and to, to, for want of a better phrase, fit him up, um, is absolutely disgusting. And they would do that to anybody else, I, I should imagine, who becomes... Influential or powerful in this country against immigration, you know. I the only person who seems to be free of any any criticism at the moment, who's getting away with most of it, is Douglas Murray. I was about to ask you about Douglas uh,
0: Murray because I mean he's done more work than anybody. He's been writing on this topic for years. I've been following him um, when he was was talking down at those. uh, rallies in sydney and melbourne and this was back when it was you couldn't criticize Islam at all in any way shape or form or, or it was bad so um, sure. he used to speak at atheist rallies because if you criticized all religions and you you could get away with it but now he's there on the front line i saw that he was actually on the border with gaza, uh, gaza the other day being shot at which is terrifying but what i sure. what i wanted to get to was one of our final questions here with the police, we're talking about how they choose to police things. Well, I saw that they managed to arrest a 100 Just Stop Oil Climate warriors who laid down on the ground and basically allowed themselves to be carried off. Personally, I think they should have left them stuck there for the weekend as protection <laughs> for the monument. That's my personal belief, yeah. but whatever, they, 100 sure. were arrested. Just under 300 yeah. jihadists have been arrested. Now that doesn't seem to me. Proportionate policing considering the volumes of people involved. So, uh, you know, and if you don't police equally, people start to get the feeling that the police have been politicised. Is it important that the police show that they are applying the law equally and correctly to these groups in proportion to their crimes? Because otherwise, I don't see, I mean, people like Douglas Murray just being proved right every single day they step out there and tweet.
1: Sure, absolutely, yeah. Um, to be fair to the police, let me stick up with them slightly. You can't really arrest 100,000 people. Um, some of the rallies have been been, been. been
0: oh, but you can chip away at it. 000. You if, can chip I mean, away at
1: it. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the Germans have arrested 4,000. But, you know, I, I, apparently from, from what I've read, what, what I've seen is the police were scared of the mob. They, they thought if, if they went in heavy hand, you'd all, all try to do anything. I think they arrested 29 people um from, from the from the two demonstrations so far but yeah the police are totally ineffective they've they, they tried to arrest people after the event they, they put out photographs and say do you know this person you know and, and overall 29 people have been arrested but if you want, want to look at them as, as a function of maintaining law and or, law and order in this country they've been totally and utterly hopeless
0: I think they're not helped by the fact that they've just had two major protest events where they proved that they can do it. That was the Black Lives Matter event where they were beating normal citizens who were trying to protect monuments. They were beating them with batons and forcing them away. That was terrible policing. And during the freedom rallies when they brought out heavy, heavy, heavy-handed policing against people who weren't posing any threat to anybody. So they do, yeah, the problem is that I, they know mm. that they can police, and that's the biggest problem. They're seeing this inequality going, why, why did we get, why were we beaten up? I don't understand what the difference is. Is that a problem?
1: Well, exactly. No. Uh, um, well, yeah, well, of course it's a problem because, you know, you know justice is meant to be blind, and it's not. Um, you know. Um, so, sorry. um when it, come, when it when it when it when it came to the um, the, the mask and the, co- and the COVID demonstrations, um, the police were fairly brutal. Um, I think think they probably they were confident because most of the demonstrators were middle aged and elderly elderly men and women, basically. So they sort they felt okay about that. Having to deal with strapping twenty five year olds, and there's quite a few of them. They seem to be a lot less lot less. And of course, you know, and it goes back to the basic cultural fact: is most of people like myself. Are oh, law-abiding people who believe in the rule of law. If a policeman tells you to do something, if it's reasonable, you're going to do it. We're not going to sit there and you know and have a stand. You know, uh, like some people who will be there having a standoff, and, and it, those people know they can get away with it, but they will assault the police and they will. They, uh, we they don't will have any flares. Police. We don't, don't have
0: any flares to shoot off into the crowd, which is what I'm seeing a lot of. Ra- I don't know where they keep getting all these flares from, but they always seem to have flares on hand to start shooting at people. It's bizarre. It's a weird cultural. thing. fireworks. Trend. Yeah, that's yeah, but in Sydney we don't have 12. we don't have fireworks in, in Sydney, so we had flares and they were shooting them at police across the opera house. It was bizarre. But look, one quick question to end. You're a journalist. What a time to be a journalist at the moment. There's so much going on. How <laughs> How it, like, I feel like we can actually speak a bit more freely now compared to what maybe five years ago, particularly on social media, you can actually make posts now on Twitter. Do you feel as if with the restoration sure. of the accounts of people like Katie Hopkins and things that maybe we'll have an honest social conversation this time around?
1: Um, if Elon Musk has his way, yes. You've got to give it to Elon Musk. Um, you know, for example, I'm, from my own pers- personal Twitter account, I went down to 5 billion views a month because somebody made a complaint about one what, what of my tweets. And I, 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 I wrote to Elon Musk personally. I wrote to him personally. And they like, changed it all back. And so, so I went from five billion views a month. Now in October, it was 100 million. So it went, went up by 20-fold. But... Uh, um, yeah, as I, as I mentioned earlier on about the Overton window moving to the right or you know, whatever way you can see it is right. Um, I think we can have a far more, more honest conversation these days. And it's about bloody time, for one of a better word. Um, the, way, the way that uh, classical liberal and the centre-right have been marginalised uh, on social media over the last 10 years has been absolutely appalling. And you know, it really is quite disgraceful that we cannot say what we mean, provided we put it in a reasonable, civilised manner, But we should be allowed to say that without without having our accounts stripped and losing our jobs and being censured censured by the left-wing establishment.
0: Yes, I think right now it's going to be time for some really tough cultural conversations and uh, the world seems to do this to itself every uh, 50 to 100 years. It seems to have a bit of a, a moment and I have a feeling that we're having another moment. The new page of history is flipping over sure. and there's a new title coming down and it's not good. But look, thank you so much for joining us here today on my show. And uh, also the best of Thanks luck Alex. Best of luck as well to you guys over there. I, I'm, I'm worried for you over the weekend, so fingers crossed it's all okay.
1: That's very kind. Thanks lot, Alex.
0: We are joined by a lawyer, women's rights campaigner, co-founder of Save Women's Sport and the former Liberal candidate for Oringa,
2: Catherine Dees. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on, Alexandra. Great to be here. It's astonishing. You
0: speak, you speak often about the attacks on women, but even as I was preparing for today's show, I glanced at Wikipedia to make sure I had the correct heel suburb for your candidacy. And what does Wikipedia do? In the opening paragraph, they make sure to label you as anti-trans activist. Now, nothing about your achievements. No, no, no. If you stand up for the rights of women, if you don't think it's a good idea to permanently disfigure the sexual organs of children, well, Catherine, wiki makes sure that the world knows that you are anti-trans. Now, before we get into the main topic today, how do you feel about this constant picking around the edges of women's reputations? Because major news networks do it too. I mean, look at JK Rowling. She's the most successful author in human history, but they'll always start with the prefix anti-trans.
2: Well, this is a price you pay, Alexandra, for going against the zeitgeist. And I don't know any serious person who would go to Wikipedia Uh, for their information on someone. And, you know, I'm not the only woman that they have done this to. I've gone onto my Wikipedia page, tried to change details, Um, to the actual facts, and within moments it's changed back. Um, So it's good that there are trans activists who have nothing better to do but sit there and monitor these Wikipedia pages and change them back to whatever lies they choose to print about people. But I think it's because um, women in my position who are running these arguments, we are over the target. So they will try and attack us with whatever they can say, even if it's just outright lies well, yeah, so I
0: noticed it's not just Wikipedia. The mainstream news organisations do it as well. Even in interviews, they'll, they'll begin their interview with that just to make sure the, the rest of the interview is poisoned by some kind of prejudice against these women. I think that's a really dangerous way to go about it. But you have written an incredibly important article for The Spectator this week called Truth and Pronouns in the Australian Judicial System. Now, I'm going to quote your opening to the viewers. You said, and I quote, the task of the common law system is not the pursuit of truth, but the arbitration of the adversarial disputation of the truth. In a postmodernist world where truth is personal and experienced, the common law court system is the last stronghold of dispassionate inquiry into the truth. The court's role in that system is to hold fairly the balance between the contending parties without itself taking part in the disputations." Can you explain the importance of this in the context of gendered language and the future of women's rights?
2: So this article uh, was written in response to a practice note that went out recently from the uh, South Australia uh, Chief Justice, and this uh, said that it is a matter of respect to use preferred pronouns in court. Now, they are following the example um, of policies that have been put forward already in New South Wales, in Victoria, uh, in our Federal Circuit Court. Um, here in New South Wales in the judges bench book. So that's basically a handbook for judges. uh, It's been there for quite some time saying that we should be using preferred pronouns. Now for anybody who's been following this issue, the very definition of the word woman is in dispute. and there are a number of cases that are currently running in the courts. here in Australia, in BC, there was one that was just decided uh, in Scotland where the definition of the woman of the word woman uh, is being contested. So when we do see practice notes being put forward, that are allowing men to be able to identify as women and then the officers of the court are being um, encouraged to go along with it as a matter of respect when this is the very issue in dispute, well, I think that definitely raises some concerns and some issues. Well, you went on in the article and I quote, because
0: language and the law are symbiotic, controlling legal language is the prize of gender ideologues enthralled in the eradication of biological sex from law control the language control the narrative end quote now language isn't just a semantic argument that's being you know that you know we talk about here in interviews it's actually being used to manipulate fact and I'll give you one example for our viewers most people will say that women's sport is just for women and that men have no place competing against women in sex segregated sports so far so good Catherine but if you point like if I was to point at the obvious bloke wearing a skirt kicking around the field and say hang on a minute we said no dudes in women's sports, the law will turn around and say, well, that man is legally a woman. Therefore, there are, no women in, uh, there are no men in women's sports. And suddenly, with a language trick, the rights of women are gone. Now, Catherine, how are the Australian courts
2: faring when it comes to the capture of this language? So, I mean, what we're seeing here is a, a manipulation of reality. And when we see that the definition of woman now includes men, and I mean, we've got the Attorney General who has put out guidelines around this sort of language. They did this um, subsequent to the 2013 amendments, which basically, you know, give a free for all to gender identity over the reality of biological sex. And as we, so, as I keep talking about, with the 2013. Um, amendments, we are seeing situations where a person's self-declared identity is overriding biological sex. We are seeing the eradication of biological sex in law and policy. And of course, most of the time, it really doesn't matter. Most of the time, uh, sex is not relevant, but when it matters, um, it really matters. And as you rightly pointed out with respect to sport, I mean, Lee Smith, uh, who is um, the founder of Binary, she's currently going through several litigation uh, processes and dealing with complaints um, because she highlighted that there are men playing in women's soccer here in New South Wales. And she's being punished By the litigation process, she's got AVOs against her, she's going through a tribunal process for vilification because she's simply pointing out the truth that we are now seeing men identify their way into uh, the female category and there are now laws and policies in place that allow him to do so. Um, But where we're getting to the point now is when women point this out and when women start objecting, uh, they are now being um, subjected to, you know, litigation, to criminal charges, civil sanctions, uh, indeed as well as just social sanctions um, within their jobs or within their, uh, you know, familial or or family groups where people can be ostracised for simply pointing out the truth. And the point of my article is you know the court the australian court system really needs to remain objective in in my view on such a contentious issue well most people you call this the australian pub test but most people know it's not
0: correct so for example if somebody is a 40 year old person and they want to identify as a 15 year old to play in underage sports so they win people would be like no that's plainly not true just because you say you're under 15 doesn't mean you are you're you're 40 it's the same thing with biological sex. Just because you say you're a woman doesn't make you a woman. That's not what defines truth. Reality is what defines truth. And I think what you're, the point of your article was that the court should stick with reality, not the capture of language by activist groups. But you did also write about what happened in South Australia last week. Could you tell us what that was and what kind of implications that has for court etiquette? So
2: the practice note is saying that uh, the the preferred pronouns should be used as a as a matter of respect uh, within the court setting. Um, now, the Chief Justice did push back and say, you know, that's, that's up to the judge. However, in, in saying that, if you are a woman giving evidence against a male who has raped you or assaulted you and everybody else in the court is going along with his so-called preferred pronouns and you are the one person that wants to stand up and and point out that he's a man, do you think that that woman is going to feel supported and encouraged to be able to speak her truth or do you think she's going to find herself in the situation of having to refer to, you know, her penis and she over there? Because several years ago I was actually contacted by a woman in New Zealand. Um, There was a man over there who murdered multiple women and she actually had been attacked by this man and had managed to survive. Now, he'd been sent for retrial on three separate occasions and the third time this happened, uh, this man was now identifying as a woman and she had to refer to her attacker who, had he succeeded, would have raped and murdered her Um, using female pronouns. Now, to place that burden on someone who is already extremely distressed, um, they've been through a horrible experience, and then having to sit there and give evidence, it is, you know, one of the most grueling experiences you can go through. And then to place a burden on people where they have to turn around and actually tell a lie. I mean, essentially telling someone to say something that's counter to what they are seeing. Um, You know, most people, when they, they take the oath when they uh, affirm uh, that they will tell the truth in court, that is what they want to do. So if they've got a judge uh, or or barristers or other lawyers sitting there and referring to someone using the opposite sex pronouns, I mean, will will that person feel compelled to actually tell a lie against what they see? Um, So I think, you know, this has the capacity to really undermine um, the purpose of the of, of seeking how to arbitrate between truths when one truth is being uh, put in a position where it, it has precedence over the truth of other people. Well, so, you've uh, it, you've, yeah. you've pointed
0: out there very clearly that. The court you have to take an oath not to lie in court and then the court turns around and says except you must lie about this or you'll also go to jail and that is uh, hypocrisy and it also undermines the entire purpose of being in that court and telling the truth I don't think you can start having a legal system that says you must tell the truth except when and then have a long list of exceptions that doesn't sound like a good idea to me but there is a case coming up in the federal court of Australia where the discussion of gendered language is crucial did you want to tell us about the tickle versus giggle
2: case? So the tickle versus giggle case is scheduled to be heard in the Australian Federal Court uh, in April and again this is a clash between sex and gender identity. Uh, so Sal Grover who founded uh, the giggle app which is an online social media platform for girls wanted to have it as woman only. So she excluded a potential user on the basis of his uh, when she saw him, she saw a male. So she excluded him. Um, And then we have this individual who is now alleging discrimination against Sal. So again, we're having this conflict. I mean, this is a very contentious live issue and it's not just here in Australia. And if you are interested in the case, um, I implore you to follow Sal on her website where she's putting updates and that's on gigglecrowdfund.com. But there are another... uh, A number of cases currently running overseas. Uh, There's one in British Columbia at the moment, a nurse by the name of Amy Eileen Ham, who uh, has views similar to mine in this space. And she was also behind getting a billboard up in Vancouver that said, I love JKR. And because of what she said on social media, she's being subjected to a disciplinary process through her professional Um, body to try and have her uh, stripped of her qualifications as a nurse for having these views so I mean that's running at the moment and Amy wanted to refer to males who identify as trans as such um, and they were saying no you you have to refer to it the other side was saying you have to refer to this person as trans woman and they had to go off and decide as to what language Amy was allowed to use now I would Uh, take that to be compelled speech. There was also a recent case in the Court of Sessions in Scotland that was just handed down where the definition of man and woman is no longer biological because if you are a person who spends, I believe it's five pounds, you go and get a gender recognition certificate, um, you can be treated as the opposite sex in, in certain circumstances. And there are certain areas where you uh, cannot be excluded. So basically, there are certain spaces where women can be, like associations, groups. Um, if you have gatherings of gays or lesbians, they, like lesbians, can now no longer exclude men from their, from their public, ga- from their, um, from their gatherings. So, you know, in redefining biological sex, in redefining the definition of man and woman, it has real-world implications. Very far-reaching. Um, implications and while people might think that using pronouns oh it's just being kind it's just being respectful it's actually redefining something in such a way that it's placing a burden on other people in society and that burden really does need to be uh, considered when such policies are being put forward five pounds you say? Well that's basically for the price of a cup of
0: coffee you can redefine three and a half billion odd years of biological reality. That's a pretty frightening concept there but let's have a little chat about J.K. Rowling. Now I don't think it was ever her intention to become a culture warrior. She was a children's fantasy author who made perfectly mainstream and normal comments about the protection of women and children and then when the hordes of social justice warriors attacked, many of whom were her previous customers of her book and who grew up reading her works. She refused to back down, which absolutely infuriated them because usually political, fig- uh, you know, social figures and entertainment figures they always kowtow to the mob. But J.K. Rowling has far too much money to care about that kind of childish bullying. Anyway, since then she has often weighed in on the destruction of gendered language. In your article, you referenced a recent comment that she made on Twitter, in which she effectively said that asking a woman to refer to her male rapist or violent assaulter as she in court is a form of state-sanctioned abuse against that woman. She went on to add that female victims of male violence are further traumatised by being forced to speak a lie, as you said earlier. Now Catherine, are Australian women about to face the same kind of issue that JK is describing in the UK? Because some of this stuff has been coming to us from the UK, they're further ahead than we are, Um, but is it really going to come into full effect here in Australia shortly?
2: I would presume so when they're putting policies into place uh, with respect to preferred pronouns and we are seeing um, that women are being punished for not going along with it. Uh, There's been some examples like uh, Maria McLaughlin, who was a 60-year-old woman uh, back in 2019. She was attacked by a young male who identified as trans. Uh, It was assault um, with battery and also her camera was destroyed by this person. And because she didn't go along with the preferred pronouns in court, his uh, punishment was was reduced. Um, and we are seeing in prisons in the in the US uh, and also in Scotland when women aren't going along with the preferred pronouns of men who identify as women and are then subsequently put into women's jails. And these women don't go along with it; uh, they are they are punished. They're put into solitary. Their sentences are extended. Uh, and so on and so forth. So this is really giving a, a weapon to men who want to be abusive, who want to uh, domineer other people's um, speech in really uh, grotesque ways. And I think that the legislators who are putting this forward, who might be just you know, listening to the rainbow activists who are saying, yes, this is kind and inclusive, and they're not taking it to its logical conclusion, which is that you're going to be having, you know, violent men, uh, men who do attack women, then try to identify as women, have all of the court play along with their cosplaying, and then potentially even making it into, into women's prisons. And, you know, further to some of these more examples of these men who are identifying As trans, and then having their criminal culpability uh, reduced. They're not being put in in jail. That happened in the ACT. One man uh, did not have to be held on bail despite committing a series of um, sexual offences and abuse against a young woman because the magistrate said, I couldn't possibly imagine you being held in the men's prison. So we'll let you uh, go out into the community and be able to go into any sort of uh, women-only space. So I think it's... um, it's really alarming that we are going along with this and we are not thinking of the worst in the worst situations where this could be, really be manipulated. Well, you wrote, and I quote
0: in this article, The common law system, therefore, cannot be seen to coalesce to a movement that compels people to ignore reality in the name of courtesy or civility. The system only survives by reason of the fact that its officers can maintain the independence and fearlessness necessary for the robust testing and abjuration of truth. End quote. Now what I'm seeing here, Catherine, and I'm hearing what you're saying, and I've been following your work for a long time, I can see this this steam train coming towards us, which is uh, bowing to this gendered language that the activists want us to do and to get rid of mentions of women from wider society. This is coming to us at a thousand miles an hour, but I don't see many people pushing back. I mean, is the court pushing back? Are lawyers pushing back? Are there enough people who actually want to change this or do you find that there's a general movement that, no, no, we want to continue with this and until a tragedy happens, we're going to totally ignore it?
2: Well, I mean, there've already been tragedies that have happened. There've already been women raped and impregnated in prison. Um, I mean, it's happened overseas, it's happened in the US, it's happened in the UK. And what's really difficult about this is we can see what's happening overseas and, and we don't want it to happen here. But you're right, Alexander, we're trying to raise the alarm and people just aren't interested. I mean, women in prison are at the bottom of the heap. No, no one cares about what happens to them, let's be honest. Oftentimes, people are not concerned about this gender stuff until it impacts um, someone in their lives, uh, which I completely understand, but right now... Um, you know, here in New South Wales, we've got Alex Greenish who wants to put forward legislation that will allow someone to go and change their birth certificate, not only to the opposite sex, but to whatever they want. And there's not really a concerted pushback against it. I mean, in my view, you should simply not be allowed to change your uh, identity to ch- to the opposite sex. It is it's a it's a lie. To be able to change your birth certificate, to be able to change your passport, I really don't think um, that we should be allowed to do that. I think, for the most part, most people want to be kind and courteous, and they probably would acknowledge someone's, you know, new name or pronouns, etc. But I think when it comes to so these matters of policy, where you're placing a really undue burden on others um you know we really do need to push back because we are going to start to see some really awful examples uh where men are going to be coming into sports and really injuring girls or getting into spaces um where women are going to be self-excluding homeless shelters domestic violence so it's already happening alexandra this is the thing um but unfortunately you know, the women who are being most impacted are the ones with the the least amount of social power. So the stories just aren't getting out there.
0: I have to say the one thing that activists are really good at and Marxists as well, and you've got to give them credit for it, is they know how to exploit the kindness and generosity and charity of the Judeo-Christian civilization. They know how to get in there and play on people's emotions and feelings to put in ideas that actually victimize the people in society who need to be protected the most. And uh, I think women, they don't need to be feminists. They don't need to come be these fourth wave. <laughs> they just need to understand that protecting women and girls is important and that to do so, we have to uphold the truth, particularly in our legal systems where that really matters. But I'd like to thank you for joining us here today, Catherine.
2: Thanks so much for having me on, Alexandra.
0: And that's all we have time for on Marshall Live. Join us next week.